Good morning. Is everybody warm? Burr? Okay, okay. I was up at 5 o'clock this morning. It was 31 degrees. I believe that will be the high for the day. So uh, just letting warning you, giving you forewarning. My name is Gary, and uh, I am filling in for Tim. Tim's just taking a break, I guess, for a couple weeks, actually. Alan's going to be up here speaking next week, and uh, we'll go from there. But I just have a confession to make, okay? I really have a deep trust in God and faith in God and in His Holy Spirit to lead. I don't always trust Tim, though. And what I mean by that is Tim's the guy that decides the topics typically for what gets said from up here. He chooses the, the lesson series. And what excites Tim doesn't necessarily excite me. And i just got to be honest with you, over the years, I've just said, hey, you give me the topic. Now, today's a little bit different story. I'll explain that in a minute. But he gives you the topic, or at least it's, you know, within, like today, it's, you know, we're talking about the different names of Jesus. Who do you say I am is the title for the series. And we're looking at some of the different names of Jesus and trying to have are the different ways Jesus is described. And we're trying to understand that better and see how it has an impact on us. And, uh, but he choose, and I, I got to choose. Today I chose the, uh, the description Prince of Peace. And I got to do that. But typically when he gives me something, sometimes I'm excited, sometimes I'm not. And I've got to go, what am I going to talk about? But guys, like, it, it's, it's very exciting for me because whenever that happens, because I trust God and I trust His Holy Spirit, uh, he teaches me something I didn't quite know. He shows me something that I thought was a non-issue or boring or irrelevant, and he takes it and teaches me something very neat. And guys, today we're, we're doing that. We're talking about the different names of Jesus. Well, you know, who do you say I am? And we've been talking about how it's very important, the picture you have of Jesus. Your perspective is hugely important. It impacts the way you think and the way you act. You know, um, it, it's just the way it perspective is. It reminds me of a story uh, from when my oldest son was born. We had uh, some children. There was a lady here at church who had been in a car wreck, and she had two of her children, two boys, eight and ten years old, that were living with us for a few months. And my wife was pregnant. And I believe it was the younger one, eight-year-old Cody, was very curious and he kept saying, you know, he kept wanting to know how Susan got pregnant. And we spoke with his mom, and we said, hey, look, we'd be happy to have the talk with him. But, did, you know, it's your right, your privilege. And um, the, she said, well, I would like to speak with him. I said, okay, great. Well, before, before she got to speak with him, uh, Jonathan was born, and uh, he's over at the house, and we're playing around, we're wrestling, and he brings it up again. How's Susan get pregnant? You know, and I kind of brush him off, and a few minutes later, he brings it up again. How'd Susan get pregnant? And so I brush him off again, and he knows I'm brushing him off. He says, well, then, how'd that baby get out of her belly? Wait a minute. She had a C-section. I can answer this one. <laughs> so they, they cut her belly open and took Jonathan out. And, I mean, this kid didn't hesitate. He says, you mean she's got scabs? on her belly in the shape of Jonathan? 
And now that just goes, what? No, 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 no. It's a straight line, blah, 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 blah. And you know, that, that makes no sense at all till you understand the perspective of an eight-year-old who's watched cartoons and has watched somebody run through the wall, you know? And that's the hole in the wall is the shape of the person. It makes perfectly good sense. You know, you understand perspective influences the way we think. And you see, guys, it's the same way with Jesus. And the truth is, I've gone to church my whole life. I grew up going to church from the earliest ages. My earliest memories are at a church building in Alton on Washington Street. And even if you haven't gone to church much, or you didn't go to church growing up, you've heard things about Jesus. I mean, it is rare in this country, in the Midwest, that a person gets to, the, to, to, to be an adult without having some information of Jesus given to them. And that influences our thought process. And guys, it, it determines how we're going to approach Jesus. It is the same way with these different names of Jesus. When, when, when we start talking about the different names of Jesus, 90% of them I've heard before. And some preacher said one time that whenever there's anything in the Bible, you're reading something in the Bible that you've read before and you're familiar with, you need to slow down. And you need to look at it closer. Because the more you're familiar with it, the more likely you are to miss something. And guys, that's, that's just the way things are. You know, I was, I was doing the teacher service, and I was, uh, I was asked him, I said, guys, we're talking about Jesus' name as the Prince of Peace. How many times do you think the term Prince of Peace is in the Bible? What? A lot? Once. Once. It is in the Bible once. It's in your notes. In Isaiah chapter 9, it's a prophecy about Jesus. And then we'll read it in just a minute here, but it's the only time it's in the Bible. It was funny because we had another one of these uh, kids, uh, she's an adult now, Elena Wolf. you know her. She's grown up in church her whole life. You got some fans over there of Elena, okay. <laughs> grown up in church her whole life, and when I said it's only in there once, she's like, wow. You know, when I looked at her, I go, yeah, it's all them Christmas songs, ain't it? You know, guys, we've heard Jesus, Prince of Peace. And you think, well, man, that must be in there all over the place. No, it's not. It's in there once. Here's where it is. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, it's a prophecy about Jesus' birth. It says, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Now, I'll ask a stupid question. If it's only in there once, do you think that means it's not very important? No. It means it's something that we easily, we, we easily overlook this because it's only in there once, number one. And number two, it's used in such a common way around Christmas time that we don't give it much thought. And we never examine it. And so, guys, today, that's what we want to do. We want to look at it. Because, again... God continues to open my eyes to things, and I believe that's what He wants to do with us here. In looking at Jesus being Prince of Peace, it's just not a description that we should look past and that means nothing. It should have great significance to us. Now, one thing I want to bring out right before we dig into this a little deeper is, you know, it uses the term Prince. 
And that's not a term that means much around here. I said, what's that mean here? And somebody, I mean in today's world, and somebody said, well, it means royalty. I said, not in this country, it doesn't. We don't have royalty in this country. You know, some people may think of the Kennedys as royalty, but I've never heard anybody refer to him as a prince. Prince is an artist, a musician. That is correct, you know. And there's also, I believe, a baseball player, baseball player Prince Fielder, correct? And so it's a, it's a name. It doesn't really mean much, guys. Prince is a term that's used with inside of a kingdom. And as some of you know who've been around me, uh, God's opening my eyes to see what the kingdom of God is really all about. He, and he's been doing that over a number of years, but it's really picked up speed and having an understanding of it, of what a kingdom is. Well, prince is a kingdom term. And guys, we need to understand that. Prince is the son of the king. He will be the king. And the reality is he is our king now. Okay? Now, Tim's talked to you about, we're re, we used to have a class here at Greater Alton called 101, and we changed it to the name of it to FYI. And Tim and Alan and I are rewriting that class. We're just, we feel it is a useful, it has a useful purpose to let, uh, if, you're, if you're visiting with us and you say, hey, what's this church all about? What's your approach? Uh, what do you believe? We want to, we want to, we want to, that's what this class is for. And we're, we've, since the last time we've taught it, we've reexamined some of the things that we teach and that we believe. And so we're rewriting the class and we're going through it and we're saying, well, this statement is kind of interesting. We, Tim and Alan and I each went through it individually. This statement, this section, we want to keep. And there's one statement in there that I believe I want, I want, I want it in the class because I believe in, we need to have it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand this. And it says the church is like a kingdom. The church is part of the kingdom of God is what, really what it should say. But it says kingdoms exist to satisfy the desires of the king. And guys, we need to understand that. And I wanted to talk about that right off the bat. Because when we talk about Jesus being a prince, that's a kingdom term. And we don't think of ourselves in being in a kingdom because we live in a democracy. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom of God. And you need to understand that a kingdom exists to satisfy our king's desires. That's what it's all about. And guys, that's what we wanted to look at right off the bat, is that, look, this kingdoms exist to satisfy the desires of the king. This term, Prince of Peace, I believe is telling us our king's desire for us. Okay, and that's the first thing we want to talk about, is that Jesus' desire for me is to have peace. That should be in your notes, and I know we've changed the way we do notes. You don't have to fill in blanks. We've got some blank lines there just letting you know. You want to jot down a thought you want to remember, uh, we encourage you to do that. But Jesus' desire is for me to have peace. Now, guys, when we talk about that, I think it's important that we talk right away. I believe peace is one of those words that you think you know what it means, but you really don't can't define it. If somebody asks you to define it, you just know what it is. You know, it's kind of like the, the some politician several years ago, he was noticed as saying, well, I don't know how to define pornography, but I know what it is when I see it. Okay? I think it goes beyond... I think when it comes to, to certain words you're familiar with like that, you need to define them. And I, 
that's just a cute illustration with pornography. But when it comes to the word peace, you need to understand it. And for those of you who happen to be like me and you go, and you have words that you use and you don't think about what they really mean in their entirety, there's this wonderful little app you can get for your phone or your computer or your iPad, whatever it is. It's called a dictionary. And I know we laugh at that because it's so simple, right? But it's the truth, guys. I can't tell you how many times I look up. I'm studying for this, you know, deep theological stuff here to talk about the different names of Jesus and the Prince of Peace. Let's get out the dictionary and see what the word peace means. And guys, when I did it, it was amazing. There was 13 different definitions. And I mean, you know, it depends on the context and how it's used. And sometimes it uses a noun and sometimes it uses a verb or an adverb or or whatever. I didn't really pay attention to all that part of the dictionary. But, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's peace. It's the absence of war, like with a country. Um, we need to know that, hey, a country's at, at peace. What's that mean? They're not fighting anybody. They're not at war. Well, is that what Jesus is talking about? I don't believe that's what he's talking about. Okay? It gets to it now to a personal level. And this is what I do. I, I dug out some of the definitions here. And this is what it says. It says, cessation of or freedom from any strife or dissension, freedom of the mind from annoyance, distraction, anxiety, and obsession, etc. Tranquility, serenity. You see, guys, I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. Freedom of the mind. Your mind being at peace and not being bothered, not being consumed, not being obsessed. And guys, when you think about that, and I, I think of one word comes to mind, and that's the word stressed. You know, I looked up, there's another part of the dictionary, or I guess it's not the dictionary, it's a thesaurus. And they have antonyms in there. And one of the antonyms for, for peace is torment of the of the mind. Alan, could you get me a bottle of water, please? I'm sorry. I thought I was going to make it, and I'm not. Is torment of the mind. Have you ever, do you ever have things that eat you up inside? That torment you? That no matter what happens, and, 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 and that you can't let go of it, and you think you're going to, and then something happens to trigger your thoughts, and they go right back there to it, and you're worked up, and maybe you can't sleep. Maybe you get physically ill over it. Okay, that's not peace. Jesus is saying you don't have to live that way. You see, now the really cool part about that, now you can use other words. We use other words. We worry, right? That's the opposite of peace. Okay? We worry. We're stressed. That's the opposite of peace. And you see, one of the cool things about uh, Jesus as our king and to satisfy, to satisfy his desires. His desire is for us to experience life the best way possible. You know that? I mean, that's what's really cool about it. The Bible tells us that he is here to serve us. Thank you. That was a little tricky. I didn't know he was going to throw it to me. Um, 
Jesus came to earth, it says, not to be served, but to serve us. And one of the ways he served us is just by showing up on earth, by the way, giving up being God, giving up living in heaven, and coming to earth, and to, and to live the life, to die for us. That's what he came, how he came to serve us. But guys, it goes beyond that, because when we talk about living at peace, Jesus embodied that for us. And I'm sorry I don't have the references for you on this. If you, they're easy enough to find in the, in the Bible. If you need help, we'll be happy to help you. But there's a lot of things about Jesus when you look at Jesus' life where he was at peace. And you go, he wasn't bothered about things. There was this time where him and his disciples, his 12 disciples, were in a boat going across the sea. And the boat, there was a storm going on. And it says that his disciples feared for their life. In fact, when they got Jesus involved, they say, don't you care that we drowned? Now, the odd part about this story is, do you know what Jesus was doing during all this? He was sleeping. See, you have quite the contrast there between what? Peace and stressed. Guys, the same thing happens. I mean, you look at it over and over again. I wonder why Jesus didn't take somebody's head off when you look at his life. And the people he dealt with, these 12 disciples that were his closest friends, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what he was all about. They didn't understand what kind of a kingdom he was here to have. And I, his frustration, I mean, just boiled over at times. And he one time he even says, you still don't get it? He didn't react that way. He was calm. And probably the greatest example of this with Jesus was when it came to his, right before his death, he was on trial before the Roman governor Pilate. And everybody knows about this. It was prophesied as a lamb before the shearer is silent. And Jesus is at his trial, and I guess he was a bit of an American because he invoked his right to silence. The right to remain silent. And he did. And Pilate's like, don't you defend yourself? Why won't you say anything? He's at peace with what's going to happen. You, you're just doing what God's already decided to happen. He didn't say that, but, but that's what's going on. Guys, you think about the stressful events of those, the turmoil that he could have potentially been in, and he gave us an example of, listen, you don't have to be bothered. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be worried. You see, guys, that's significant when we understand Jesus isn't asking us to do something that's impossible. I mean, I know the world we live in. I know because I live in it. And I've been stressed. I haven't experienced, even though I've grown up knowing Jesus in varying degrees, I've lived the majority of my adult life without this peace. And guys, it's exciting to go the other direction and to know it. Guys, that's what Jesus wants us to have. Jesus wants us to have this peace. Look at these passages here. This first one's in Luke chapter 1, verses 79. And this is a prophecy about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he came on to prepare the way for Jesus. And this is a prophecy when he was born, his father is making about him. He says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The next verse there in Acts chapter 10. And this is, uh, this is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples talking. He says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. 
announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. See guys, Jesus desires that we experience peace in the midst of turmoil the same way He did. In fact, this next passage illustrates this. This is what He says in John 16. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. Wait a minute, Jesus. Did Jesus just contradict Himself? Did He just say, I want you to have peace, but you're going to have trouble? If you don't look at that close, if you don't understand what he's talking about, guess what? You're going to look at that as a contradiction. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying, here's what he's saying, guys. I'm going to show you how to have peace no matter what's going on around you. How many of you want a little bit of that? That is cool. I was asked... uh, uh, Friday night, um, Jonathan, our oldest son's girlfriend, was at the house, Emily. And uh, we were sitting at the kitchen table talking, and she says, and we, we, most of you know we bought our third car wash over here on, on the highway, and we're in the midst of trying to get it opened up and uh, spending lots of money. My wife chastises me about the chase card all the time. And uh, Emily asked the question, does, does this ever scare you? You know, and I say, well, yeah, it does. You know, and I told her the story about the first car wash we bought three years ago. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? How am I going to do this? What if this stuff breaks done? You know, overwhelmed. And I said, there's, 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 two, there's two things about that. I said, yeah, it scares me. But number one, I've been here before. Okay, I survived. I mean, I came up with a, a worst-case scenario and decided that wasn't so bad, and then it was never that bad, and so it's okay, and I can do the same thing here. What's the worst-case scenario? But guys, the amazing part about it is, compared to four years ago when I bought the first car wash, I'm calm. I'm calm. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is still working with me on this. Okay? It got tested this week, like the second day in a row that UPS showed up on the property without dropping off their package. Okay? I want to take somebody's head off. And then we have a situation in the glass business where, what do we want to say? We made some mistakes when the customer was an idiot. Okay, I don't don't know. And that may seem a little harsh. I was talking with Michael, um, and I'll spare you the details of it. Um, but if you ever want the whole story, it's really hilarious, okay? And Michael was having to go back to this customer and basically uh, <clears throat> uh, drop off some parts. We had decided well, there was no way we could make this customer happy, so we were simply going to not finish the job and give him his money back and let him go somewhere else. And uh, in the process of me talking to him, I, you know, I called Michael up afterwards because Michael's going to see him. I said, look, buddy, uh, I'm going to tell you how to handle this. I said, this guy's either bipolar or schizophrenic. And I'm, I'm not trying to make little of those situations. And I'll explain. One minute he's saying, listen, very politely, I'll pay you more money. Because I understand you've made extra trips. It's more difficult than you thought. I will pay you more money than I have already for you to finish the job. 
And the next minute, he is telling me my kids are going to starve if I keep doing business this way. I mean, it was back and forth. I mean, it was, it was, and I can tell you the whole story for time, I'm not going to. He ended up calling me up later. I mean, he, wa- he was demanding that I show up to refund his $200 in cash right then. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. We'll put a check in the mail. Well, the way you do business, I don't believe you will. Well, we credited his credit card back. He calls me up later, says, okay, we're all good. I understand that I'm an a-hole, he says. And he's telling me now, you don't have to refund all my money. Just whatever you think is fair. And I just said, I think it's best that we're just done with this. Guys, the, the, the crazy, crazy part about that, if you go back in time 15 to 20 years, you know how much that situation would have ate me up? Would have gnawed at me that I had an unhappy customer out there talking to other people about us? And how, I would have went over it in my mind over and over again how right we were and how we did things the right way and he just wasn't understanding and would have just tormented me. I don't know how else to put it. Tormented me. Now that's, that situation from Friday is the highlight of my weekend. Because it doesn't bother me. Guys, that's it. I'm going to laugh about it. I want to tell this story. I think it's hilarious. I think it's fun. It's a contrast. Do I have troubles in my life? You betcha. But can I tell you something? The peace that Jesus offers is so much more... is wonderful. And guys, that's what He's offering us. That's His desire for us. Second thing we want to talk about is to have peace. Jesus says, I must recognize peace. See, guys, that's why I think it's significant. And and, and maybe I may have worded that wrong. It may be that to, to have peace, we need to recognize when we don't have peace. Okay? We need to see the contrast. Look at this passage here in Luke chapter 19. You're probably familiar with the first part of this verse. If you were a kid growing up, you all know what the shortest verse in the Bible is, right? Jesus wept. That is the shortest verse in the Bible. Well, this is around that. And let's look at this, because this, what's significant is we're going to find out why he was weeping. Okay? It says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And what he's saying is, you don't even know what's available to you. You don't even recognize what you don't have. And, you, and it's hidden from you. You see, guys, I don't know about you, but that verse scares me. It scares me because I lived, as I've said, the majority of my adult life claiming, as a, claiming to be a follower of Jesus and I believe Jesus wept over me like He did these people. Because I didn't know what was available. I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't know. And guys, the truth is, that can happen to any one of us here. Where we think we're following Jesus, we go to church, perhaps even read our Bible and pray, 
but our perspective is messed up and we're blinded to what's going on. And guys, it's one of the things, and I believe this happens because sometimes we have a wrong picture of Jesus in our mind. You know, we're talking about him being the Prince of Peace. When I was in those adult years where Jesus, I didn't experience this peace. Now, I wouldn't have put it in these words, but he really wasn't the Prince of Peace for me. You know what he was? He was the prosecutor of my performance. He was the disturber of my soul. What does that mean? I mean, I thought Jesus. I thought of Jesus as a, I was constantly in my mind looking at how I measured up. I was constantly looking at, okay, here's what he said to do, here's what he said not to do. And I had people around me who were encouraging this type of thought process. And I was constantly looking at that, and I missed out. Guys, Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on peace. He wants us to have the right perspective. Guys, there's a passage here we're looking at in James chapter 3. And I shared this with you all back in January, and I do it because, guys... It's significant. What Jesus is trying to communicate through James 3 is we need to recognize whose desires we're satisfying. That's what James 3 says. Listen to this. And it seems a bit harsh when you read this for what it really says. It says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy... And selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Other translations translate that word demonic as of the devil. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You see, guys, what's he going on there? He's saying, guys, you need to recognize when you are not satisfying the desires of your king. And you need to recognize that when you're not satisfying the desires of the king, whose desires you are satisfying. And you see, guys, this seems a little rush, or a a little harsh, and a little rough. But I didn't write it, so I don't feel too bad about it. What he's saying here, and you put this in the context of what we're saying, these people that he's describing, okay, that are, that are ate up with bitter, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, selfishness, jealousy, um, and they have disorder in their life. They're, li- they're not experiencing peace. He's saying you're satisfying the desires of the devil, not the, the desires of our King Jesus. And he's laying it out there very clear. And I just want, guys, I just want to, I want to challenge you to look at this. If you look and you say, wow, I don't experience that, that, that peace that he's talking about. I don't, in fact, you may be right now going through something very turbulent. And we have to recognize whose desires are we trying to satisfy. Have uh, 
Have you ever, folks, I know, I'm, I, this is the young people going to go, yeah, we know about this. Older people going to go, oh, what? Have you heard of first world problems? Okay. Tim had not heard of these. Tim and Denise in the first service hadn't heard of first world. Do you know what first world problems are? You do. Okay. I have children. They're teenagers. I know what first world problems are. But for my fellow senior citizens, first world problems are problems that are unique to our country that are ridiculous. You know, you've heard of a third world country. We're a first world country. First world problems are, and if, Google it. You want to have fun, Google it. Though most of them are just flat out ridiculous. You know, like, they gave me my coffee free at, at, the, at the coffee shop, but they did it wrong, so I can't complain about it. You know, because it was free. Ridiculous things like that. First world problems. It's fun. A couple, uh, last, a couple years ago, we had the power go out in the spring. It was a Saturday morning, and uh, I got up, and you know our power was out, so I couldn't make coffee. So I head into town to get, pick up some coffee for Susan and I. You know, And I texted, I think it was Billy Stegall, and I said, Billy, I had to drive past four gas stations to get the quick trip you know, before I could get coffee. And then when I got there, they were out of donuts. You know, because it was the only gas station open, you know. And I was joking about it, and he says, his reply is, first world problem, Gary. You know, I, I Googled it the other day, and I found there's a little thing. There's a little boy looks like he's from Africa, and he's looking up, and he goes, so what you're saying is, I haven't told you it. <laughs> what you're saying is you fight with water and not over it? You guys, that is just, that is the truth of the matter. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous some of the things we as first world inhabitants get upset about. But can I tell you, as, as, uh, as followers of Jesus, there's another term we need to use. And I, I hope this catches on. And because I think it's just so significant. It's called a this world problem. You know what I'm saying? A lot of what bothers us and gets us upset is a problem of this world. And the truth is, this world's going to be gone someday. And the truth is, in Colossians 3, it says we need to have our minds fixed on things above and not of this world. And you see, guys, we just need to start calling things for what they are, is all I'm saying. When we're disturbed... We need to let each other know that's a this world problem. And I encourage you guys to look at that. When you look at it as a this world problem, guess what? You're not disturbed. You know, when I was talking with Emily the other night, and she was talking about, are you scared? Did you do this? I said, I said yeah, I have my fears. I said, but I've been through it before. And I said, but ultimately, here's the truth. I understand, I'm, I understand that Jesus may want me to go bankrupt and lose everything I have. If that means I need to learn how to follow Him better, I'm okay with that. I don't, I, I mean, if I lose everything, if my business goes bankrupt, that's a this world problem. And if that happens to me, I'm just going to tell you guys, because this is my focus already, nothing changes for me. My focus is still, how do I satisfy the desires of my King? How do I become more like Jesus? And it's, 
Guys, that's what we're, we're after. You've got to recognize, you need to be able to recognize in your life. And as I told you, guys, this is a continuing thing for me. I mean, I've told you some of my victories up here and some of the challenges that I've responded well to. But I can tell you my prayer over the last several weeks, most mornings, is God, will you show me clearly the difference? Will you show me clearly what your spirit desires versus what I want? And it's wrong. Show me. The last thing, guys, we want to talk about, and I'll be fairly brief about this, is my focus determines my peace. And we've already got into this. We've already alluded to this some. Uh, But let's read this passage. This is a long passage. I've cut a little bit of it out just to try to help us focus a little bit better. Uh, This is what it says. It says, So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You see, we have a choice in what we're going to focus on. If you if you if you decided you wanted to follow Jesus and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior and you've been baptized and you have his Holy Spirit in your life, his Holy Spirit is trying to get you to focus on certain things. And your sinful nature wants to focus on the wrong thing. And you have a choice to make. And guys, I just want to, I, I want to, I want to challenge you to look at this, you know, and there at the end of the notes, I got the Holy Spirit focuses me on Jesus' desires. And I just want to say that I believe this is a huge growth area for us as a, as a, as a group of people. Is that we have to learn to listen for the Holy Spirit leading in our lives. And it's not really difficult when you, when you look at it. Okay? When you look at, I have the choice to sin... And I have the choice to not sin. What's it going to be? But guys, there's some things, you know, I have the choice to murder the person who cut me off in traffic, or I have the, the, the choice to smile and go on my way. That's obvious. I have the choice to forgive. I have the choice to overlook an offense. That's not as easy to do. That's not nearly as easy to do. But guys, I want to tell you, the more that you decide that you want to follow Jesus, that you want to satisfy the desires of our King, 
His Holy Spirit will guide you in that. But guys, I, I ask the question, do I want to be focused? That's how I end this, because I think it's significant. We, we try up here at, at Greater Alton, we've tried over the last several years from, on what we give you on Sunday mornings to give you application to what Jesus says. You know, there's a saying that says information without application leads to frustration. But I want to tell you that if you don't have motivation, information with application is going to leave you frustrated. And that motivation needs to be, do I really want to be like Jesus? Do I really want to satisfy the desires of my King? You see, guys, I can give you all the steps in the world, tell you all the things that you can do, sit down with you, advise you about every circumstance in your life, but if you don't have a desire to be like Jesus, it'll be useless. Jesus had peace in some of the most horrific circumstances you can imagine. The most unfair treatment imaginable. And He had peace about it. And He calls us to have that same kind of peace. But we won't have it if we don't want to be like Him. If we're not focused on becoming like Him. Let's pray and we'll be done.